Yeah. They calling me controversial. I don't know why, I'm just telling the truth. Yeah. They're indoctrinating kids with lies. It's just evil in disguise. They say that it's love, but they lie. They say that they're girls, but they're guys. Or they say they have no gender. From guy sports to girls, where they're winners. From now on, I identify as a ninja turtle. Where's Master Splinter? They calling me controversial. They calling me controversial. They calling me controversial. They calling me controversial. Jesus was controversial. Paul was controversial. Elijah was controversial. Yeah, telling the truth is controversial. Welcome back to the Matt Buff Show. Great to have you with us. We've had a lot of uh, questions about um, certain jurisdictions that uh, many in the deep state might have when it comes to your due process. Um, Why was the FBI colluding with social media? Why are January 6th people that were at the rally are being held without due process? Why are a lot of things happening with... um, People that are protesting an abortion clinic, for example, they're throwing the book at them. It just doesn't seem like the uh, trial by public media is a fair trial to people in this country. Let's go to Jonathan Immort on the Matt Buff Show, constitutional law attorney, wrote this article on townhall.com. We're going to post this link for everybody. And uh, lives and liberty lost by order of the deep state. Jonathan, welcome to the Matt Buff Show. Great to have you. Great to be with you, Matt. Okay, I'm really glad you wrote this article because these questions just keep popping up about what kind of power the deep state and certain uh, entities of the government actually have. Yeah, so uh, the deep state has been with us for a very long time. People don't realize that, but uh, since the antebellum South, the ideological justification for the deep state has been with us. That's Hegelian socialism. Uh, And in the progressive era, of course, the movement came to make it a federal issue of making these independent regulatory agencies, departments, bureaus, and giving them the powers that the Constitution meant to be reserved to the three branches of government. This was an intentional movement, as I explain in my book, The Authoritarians, uh, by the progressives to defeat the Constitution. After the Civil War uh, in the 18, late 1860s and then beyond all the way through to the 1930s, year after year, academics flocked to Germany to study in what were called the historic schools, where they were taught that uh, the industrial era and the future lay not with individual rights and individualism as expressed by John Locke, but with Uh, government with centralized government planning and control through a bureaucracy. And so they came back, they first entered state governments and created bureaucratic agencies there. And then in the 1880s, they created the first federal regulatory agency. And now we have over 200 of them and they make three quarters of all federal law so that those you elect are not responsible actually do not create the overwhelming majority of laws that govern us. It's the unelected who do that. And they have ruled in a dictatorial manner as if uh, the revolution never took place in America, as if the Constitution were never adopted. 
So when you see all these things you're mentioning, it's yeah. from that legacy. And these people now have really become totally unhinged in the government. They have assumed the ultimate role. The Biden administration has given them a green light. And so what they do is a political hatchet job on America. And they are pursuing a far left agenda. So DOJ, FBI, they are pursuing a biased uh, agenda of enforcement against the political opponents of the administration. And this is, this is the total end of and destruction of the rule of law, impartial justice, the very foundations of justice in our society corrodes away and disappears when the political powers take over the enforcement mechanisms and use it as a tool to achieve political ends rather than having those entities follow the rule of law and limit their actions to instances when they have probable cause of an actual crime being committed without political influence to direct them. All of that's out the window now. I really want to highlight what the article start with, well, starts with, and you mentioned this here in, um, in your opening question, and three quarters of all federal law is not enacted by those who are, we elect but by the unelected heads of over 200 government departments, agencies, and bureaus. So my question is, and that, that's just a shocking number right there, and that's why people scratch their heads and look at some of these cases like, how, how can this happen? So somebody gets elected to Congress. He goes in there, and he tries to pass a law. How many hoops does he have to jump through with these agencies? Well, what happens is they pass a law and then the agencies either refuse to abide by it if it's against their wishes uh, or they reinterpret it to mean oftentimes the opposite of what it says and they pursue their agenda anyway. This is also true with court decisions, while very rare for a court to overrule an agency because of the ridiculous degree of deference given agency decisions. Uh, it, when it happens, agencies frequently refuse to abide by the law. In, an, in one of my own cases, uh, Pearson versus Shalala, the Supreme Court, or the uh, United States uh, Court of Appeals for the D.C. Circuit issued a constitutional mandate on First Amendment grounds to the FDA to favor disclosure over suppression of truthful health information on nutrient disease relationships. And the FDA's assistant chief counsel at the time called me on the phone and told me directly that the FDA will never, ever, ever implement the court's mandate. It's, it's outrageous. They, ha they have this hubris and they act beyond the law because they can get away with it and because Congress is not holding them to task. You've identified correctly what exactly the deep state is. And when you describe it this way in the article, and it's on townhall.com, we're on, and, and we're going to post this on the Matt Buff show too, lives and liberty lost by order of the deep state. You've correctly identified the deep state. People talk about it, don't know what they're talking about sometimes, but this is it where they're, where they're just ignoring laws put on the books by lawmakers and doing their own thing. We've seen the FDA, the CDC out of complete control. Yesterday, Jonathan, the CDC decides that on their own power, they can make a vaccine that is 
recommended, they say recommended <laughs> for children under 12. And it's an MRA. And, and people have questions about that, but they don't understand how much power that actually holds. So for an example like that with the CDC, what can we do to snuff out the deep state and stop these illegal, unconstitutional practices? Well, in that instance, for example, and in many others, the states can form a barrier between the federal government and the people to prevent this from happening. So state legislators, uh, legislatures can adopt uh, a, a, a position that they will not add to the vaccine schedule COVID-19 vaccination for youth. You know, COVID-19 vaccination for youth, there is just simply isn't any publicly available evidence to support the conclusion that any benefits arising from the vaccine could exceed the detriments and risks associated with it in youth. And indeed, the vaccine is increasingly being uh, um, made apparent as a inadequate uh, response to the COVID-19 virus. We have over 80% of the population that has natural immunity. That includes people who are vaccinated, who they said never would get the virus, who got it anyway, as well as uh, the rest of the population. And only about 4% of adults are, are being boosted these days because they're onto it as well, that it's, it's really been a woefully misguided, inadequate, and falsely represented uh, means of dealing with the virus. So the last thing in the world we want to do is take something that is this risky and dangerous in kids and mandate it. And yet that's exactly what they're doing. This is brainless, unscientific, politically driven uh, mandates that we've got to stop. We can do that at the state level with the state legislatures just simply refusing uh, to allow this to happen in the states. Uh, you know, the, the deep state is also in control of immigration policy. And you've got Mayorkas there uh, running it, who needs to be impeached, uh, who's the person who's not following the law. Notice how, how this is a very clear example of the deep state not following the law. The immigration laws are clear. You can't come into this country illegally. Yet they open the southern border and allow... Uh, over 5 million people illegally just uh, in the past uh, uh, year and a half to come into this country. And that's a conservative estimate. And then they have drug trafficking and sex trafficking and MS-13 gangs and 18th Street gangs all coming through the border, even terrorists coming through our southern border without any response. The government has turned over, that is Mayorkas, has turned over America's immigration policy to the cartels. Uh, criminal cartels, terrorist organizations determine who comes into this country and the circumstances under which they come in, which oftentimes includes rape of children, women, and, uh, and abuse of people, massive uh, uh, fees that they're charging. This is a, a disaster, a public uh, a humanity disaster that this administration is countenancing every single day, the blood of all these people the blood of our own people, all of the loss of property, the destruction that's taking place, all the ruination that's happening, and all of the increase in fentanyl deaths. That Everybody from 18 to 45 in this country, the number one leading cause of death is now fentanyl overdose. Fentanyl made by the communist Chinese uh, and the cartels and brought into our country in such massive doses, uh, massive amounts, and uh, more than sufficient to kill every American citizen uh, and there's no response from this government, none. They are facilitating and aiding all of this. They are complicit in it and they are responsible for it and voters should hold, hold them responsible for it. 
They need to hold them accountable. That's why this election is so key. If we lose this election, that deep state grows bigger and stronger and it faster. And then they won't have to worry about elections to worry about. They're going to impose all kinds of radical ideology on everybody. And that stranglehold will affect everyone. It'll become a state's issue at that point. I mean, it's a really remarkable disaster if we don't take back the House and Senate as step one to overtaking the White House again. Jonathan Emord, I want everybody to thank you for joining us on the show. I want everybody to check out the book. Um, there, uh, the authoritarians, the their assault on individual liberty, the Constitution, and free enterprise from the 19th century to present. This came out in 2021. Jonathan, I assume part two is probably going to be coming out pretty soon to that one. <laughs> well, we'll see. It pretty much covers everything that's been happening. It's a bit predictive in that way, but. Thank you so much, Matt, for having me on. I appreciate it. Oh, God bless you. Keep up the great work and uh, follow him on townhall.com and everywhere else and get this book. We're going to post the link wherever books are sold. Jonathan, have a great weekend. Thank you for joining us again on the show. Thank you. The deep state explained right there. Pretty remarkable. You stay with us. Hey, Matt Buff from The Buff Show. I love being in the middle of nowhere with the family. Problem is, I can't get any service out here. I wish there was a better solution. Maybe like a satellite phone or something. Let me head back to the office and check this out. All right, let's check this out. Satellitephonestore.com. Oh, look at this. Very cool. Do I need a satellite phone? Well, it says satellite phones provide voice, SMS, and data services anywhere on the earth. And you don't have to rely on cell phone networks. Very cool. Satellite phones work everywhere when you're outside. All right, what's this? Why do I need a satellite terminal? With one of these devices, you can stay in communication without a dedicated satellite phone. Better yet, you can text, call, and depending on the device, use all your favorite smartphone apps too. Hey, what's this bivy stick? The new Bivy Stick is the smallest and simplest to use radium global satellite communications and tracking device in the world. Wow, the smallest and most simple satellite communication device weighs just 100 grams. About half the weight of your cell phone. Look at this, one to three days delivery. Very cool. Call 941-841-0844. I will do that. 941-841-0844. Visit SatellitePhoneStore.com for special offer or you can visit sat1234.com and mention the buff show 941-841-0844 welcome back to the matt buff show great to have you with us and we have one of your favorite segments of the week that's debatable it's time to talk about this right here today. You're running for governor of Georgia. Uh, I would assume, maybe incorrectly, but while abortion is an issue, it nowhere reaches the level of interest of voters in terms of the cost of gas, food, bread, milk, things like that. What can a governor, what could you do as governor to alleviate the concerns of Georgia voters about those livability, daily, hourly issues that they're confronted Fair with? enough question. But let's be clear. Having children is why you're worried about your price for gas. It's why you're concerned about how much food costs. For women... Let's go. Well, let's make screens equal there. Let's go to our Democrat opponent for this. Democrat political strategist and commentator Crystal Knight is on the show. You can follow her on Twitter 
at Chris L. Knight, and she also has the website you guys can check out, chrislknight.com. Crystal, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Oh, you got it. So um, you're a Democratic operative. Baby murder and abortion can't be the sole thing Democrats run on. I know they don't have anything else. Is that what's going to carry them, in your opinion? Absolutely not. I think the clip that you just played of candidate Stacey Abrams speaking about abortion and inflation, um, I don't think that was the best use of words in the way that she, you know, framed that answer. Um, I don't think that the abortion issue, while it's important to, you know, folks like myself, many people on the Democratic side of the aisle, that issue alone won't take us through the election cycle because there's still other issues that voters care about. Voters care about inflation. Voters care about the cost of groceries. Voters care about the cost of gas. Voters care about, you know, the rising cost of student loan repayments or payments, if you will. So there are so many other things that are people have to think about that are the forefront of their minds, the forefront of their economic situations, that the abortion issue, while it is important, it won't be the determining factor in how people turn out to vote in November. Why isn't abortion so important anymore? It's because of those other things. But when you look at the science, when you look at the science, not one Democrat uh, candidate on any debate stage I've seen, and I know you've seen some too, they don't ever commit to a limit on abortion. It seems like the Democrat platform is abortion on demand. That doesn't sit well with the American people. Well, I would disagree. I, be, I mean, if we see the polling that happened right after Roe versus Wade, the overturning of, of the law as we knew it in this country, um, many voters believe that um, a woman should have the right to choose. And that's what the crux of the argument is, is that, you know, the government is taking away um, the woman's choice and what she wants to do with her body. And people fundamentally disagree with that on both sides of the aisle. So it's not even a, a democratic issue. This is an American issue and it's an issue of civil rights. And so, um, you know, I think the the, the, the challenge or going back to your question of should this take, you know, why isn't this issue so important anymore? I don't think that it's any it's any less important. I think that there are other issues. You know, crime is high. Again, I'm talking about economic issues that are plaguing people, things that people can feel. Um, every single day in their economic situations, those things are much more readily apparent. And I'm not saying that abortion, the, abor the abortion issue isn't apparent and it isn't, you know, a major cause of concern for people. But I think that coupled with the other issues that people are thinking about, it just it, it becomes a part of the larger package of challenges, but it's not the number one challenge that is driving people or keeping people at home from voting. Well, we're going to talk about all the issues, but um, just one last thing on the abortion issue. When people say oh, the right to choose what they do with their body, in the process and procedure of abortion, it's not the woman who's killed. It's actually the baby. It's not their body. It's a baby that is eviscerated from the woman. So in a procedure like that, somebody dies, but it's not the woman. It's well, not her I mean, body that dies. Well, there are cases where women who are carrying um, a baby whose life may be in danger, what we call an atopic pregnancy or etopic pregnancy. Um, so I think you're approaching it from a different perspective than I am. I'm approaching it from a woman or a family or whoever it is who's deciding to make a choice and a decision in the best interest 
of her person, whatever that interest is. And my argument is that that belongs with the woman that belongs with, you know, between the woman and her doctor or between the woman and the, and the partner that she, you know, conceived the baby with. Um, we should not or our elected officials rather should not have say so in what people do and the choices that they make as it relates to pregnancy in this country, as it relates to carrying a baby in this country. And so what you hear many people on my side of the aisle say is that it is a woman's right to choose. It is a woman's body. It is a woman's uterus. And if you're not in the position to affect her life post, pre, or during pregnancy, you shouldn't have a say so in what she does with her body. And so that's the fun, that's a fundamental belief that I think many people who are pro-choice believe about abortion care in this country. Well, when you talked about, you know, an emergency situation where the woman's life is in danger, could be a car accident, could be something like that. There is a hard choice to make, but that's in a that's in a hospital. I'm talking about the other 98% <laughs> where they don't feel it's the right time in their life. It's their uh, career choice decisions that they're worried about. It's all those things. And somebody has to be looking out for the innocent lives in this country. And I think that's what the pro-life side does. But when you're talking about the choice and the women's, uh, the women's right to choose, maybe the woman should choose to make better decisions before she gets pregnant. What do you think of that? And maybe she did. We don't know all the circumstances. I think what we do when we have this conversation, we assume that every woman in this country who's gotten pregnant has gotten pregnant recklessly. We assume that every woman um, was not using um, contraception or contraceptive methods to prevent pregnancy. We assume that many people are just out here having sex and getting pregnant and using abortion as a way to just, you know, do away with, you know, whatever they were doing in that moment in time. And really, my position is, it's nobody's business, quite frankly. What a woman does with her body, if she decides to um, you know, abort her child for whatever reason, why do we, as regular citizens in this country, care what other people do with their bodies? Why is that a cause of concern when, we, when women should have the autonomy to choose and decide based upon anything that's happening in their lives if they want to move forward or if they don't want to move forward. And so when we get down to, well, what were they doing? What are, what kind of decisions are they making? Why do you care? Because that is a living human being. Everybody on the left tells us to trust the science. All right, let's trust the science on this one. <laughs> let's take a look at what's going on inside the womb. Technology has advanced so much that policy or public opinion on this issue has dramatically uh, changed. Mm -hmm. What they didn't know in the 70s, they know today and they see mm -hmm. that. And I think there's better alternatives. Help for the mother throughout the term help for uh, adoptive parents with an easier path. I think just giving that child a chance is a good thing. That when, when you talk about the government being in the room with the mother and the doctor, that baby's in the room too. And that's what people are looking at. And if people are being reckless with their sex lives and using abortion as birth control in that scenario you painted, I do think that happens. We've seen evidence of that happening, and it's a pretty reckless lifestyle. Even on the contraceptives, it tells you it's not 100% effective. So when you're engaging in sexual activity, and it's not necessarily reckless, but sometimes it is, mm -hmm. you know there's that risk. 
We're just okay. saying it's a state's rights issue, right? So if you want no, to... No, that's not what I'm saying. That's what you're saying. Codification of Roe v. Wade. We know that. That's what Biden said well, yesterday. L- he listen, wants to codify me, Roe. I, I, I got to interrupt you. I got to interrupt you, Matt, because there are instances of rape and incest that absolutely should be brought into this conversation. You also talked about reckless behavior. People live recklessly every day in a number of different mediums that don't even relate to sex. And so when we think about, again, these are all choices that people make in their day-to-day lives. So when we give people the autonomy and the choice to make um, you know, reckless choices and, and, behave, and engage in reckless behaviors, and it doesn't pertain to sex, I don't see the government stepping in and telling them what they should and shouldn't do as it relates to that particular choice. Um, I also think, you know, as it relates to this issue, again, I'm firm. I'm firm in my decision that it is a woman's right to choose. She decides what what she will do ultimately with her body. I also think one of the other things that you said is, you know, providing support um, throughout the term of a pregnancy. That's great. I think every woman in this country deserves to have adequate support as she carries a baby. The other thing that we we also miss in this conversation is what happens post the baby getting here? We don't have universal paid and family medical leave. We don't have universal child care, meaning when people have babies, they have to go back to work. They have to have some type of care for the child. We don't talk about that. We talk about providing support for adoptive parents. Well, what about for parents who just choose to keep their child and, and, want, and they want to raise them and maybe they have some economic burdens? Where is the government when the child gets here? We talk about you know the child during the, the, the fetal stage, but what happens to the same support that you're saying that you're going to provide for a woman throughout the term? You want somebody who's born to be cradled by the government? I mean, get a third job if you have to. Take care of the kid. And, about and you the know what? That may be dog. the reality for some people, <laughs> but that's not the reality for everyone. And so when you think about the wraparound services that are needed to provide for a living human being once they enter into this world, that's where the conversation goes left. That's where the conversation is like, well, do this and do that. But wait a minute. If you're really pro-life, be pro-life through the, through the age of 18. Support children from the in, from when they come out the womb through the age of 18. Where is the legislation? Where is the policies that exist in this country that say we're going to support your child once they get out of the womb from pre-K to kindergarten to, you know, middle high school and even throughout their educational experience? It does not exist. And so the argument that people um, make decisions based upon whatever their situation is, that's a reality that many folks don't have the real lived experience to understand and accept because they don't care about the child once they get here. They only care about seeing the child be born and they don't care about the situations or the challenges that a child may be born into. When I said we don't need the government to cradle that child, there are plenty of organizations that we've had on the show that want to help a mother during the term and after. We have the Radiance Foundation. For, for example, I'm going to give you an example. The Radiance Foundation, Ryan Baumberger was a child born out of a rape situation, right? Mm-hmm. He was born on rape and raised in love through adoptive parents. So they've created the Radiance Foundation to help 
other people that had maybe similar similar situations. We don't need the government when there's so many. If we work together, we could talk about many. I see on your website, you have a bunch of links of organizations you work with. We have the same thing. Let's let those, let's let the people take care of each other. We don't need the government to make a mandated policy because that just hurts us in the long run. But the government is trying to make a mandated policy on what a woman on a woman's rights to choose like no they said it goes back to you the states it goes back to you the states if you live in a state and your 15-week heartbeat bills on the ballot it's up Mm -hmm. to you crystal to vote on that and choose what you want for your state if you lose and you don't like the outcome you can move to california (laughs) and it's not that easy because everyone doesn't have the economic upward mobility to just up and move to a state that is abortion friendly. I'm originally from Tennessee. So I always like to talk about real scenarios where I live. I'm from, I'm originally from Tennessee. In Tennessee, we have a trigger ban. So as soon as Roe versus Wade fell, um, our trigger ban went into effect. And what that means is after a certain number of weeks, you can't get an abortion in Tennessee. So, I know that trigger ban saved lives. They documented listen, how many lives were saved. It depends by that. on how you look at it. You look at it as saving lives. I look at it as jeopardizing the care of millions of Tennesseans who are experiencing um, challenges with either moving forward um, through with their pregnancies and they're looking for alternative ways. And the state has taken that right away. And so that's not the only state in the in the United States that, that has a trigger ban. We know that. Absolutely. 14, 14 but, of them. But what I'm saying is it's easy to say, well, just pick up and move. Sometimes people can't do it. It's also easy to say, just go to another state and get the abortion. That's also a challenge. When you think about the, like, there are so many barriers and burdens that we don't, maybe you and I, we don't have those experiences. So it's hard for us to really imagine why can't a woman just drive somewhere else or just pick up and move or just do whatever, you know, quote unquote, we would do or someone else would do. But again, we are projecting because we really don't know every situation that a woman has to make that decision in. And so when we project, we're we're excluding all of the nuances, all of the variables that may have gone into the decision that a woman was either forced to make or she chose to make. And what I'm saying is that should still be the woman's right. That's fair. And you notice throughout this debate, I don't cut you off. I let you talk. I think this is the healthiest thing for our country. Two people (laughs) on opposing views talking about this. But in Tennessee, I got two questions on this for you before we move on, but it's been so good. You've been really good about answering this, uh, these questions and talking with me. The um, in Tennessee, based on the trigger law, do you think it made it harder for a woman to get an abortion? Absolutely. That's a good thing. That's no, a it's thing. not a good it's thing. A it's terrible. It's, it's terrible. a good thing. Maybe it gives her time to think, Crystal. Have you ever talked to a woman after an abortion? Have you ever? In your in your career, have you ever talked to a woman who had an abortion? Absolutely. Yes, I have. Um, and did, did I, you hear about the depression that runs rampant through women who go through this process? The, you know, the, let me, the depression let me, is rampant. Let me say this, Matt. Every woman is different. Every woman's post um, procedure experience is different. And it really depends on, again, what led them to that place in their life to make that decision. So I can't, there's no one size fits all. There's no 
post procedure depression for every single person. Every single person's situation is different. I also want to emphasize and highlight this. The challenge with the trigger law, not only in Tennessee, but across a number of states in this country, is if if, if you were going into a facility to get a, get an abortion for, for whatever reason, right? And the trigger ban took effect before your next appointment. That's traumatic. That's the real trauma that we're not discussing. So when you talk about post-care, um, you know, depression or any type of symptoms that could arrive, arise, imagine going in, you're, you already had to wait 48 hours in the state of Tennessee to be seen by a doctor. And then you, you know, your next appointment is for you to actually be administered, um, you know, either the abortion pill or the abortion procedure or whatever it is surrounding how you have to eliminate your pregnancy. And then the trigger bands, you know, pops up. What do you do? You know, what do you, you have to start your process all over again, allegedly in another state. Um, and, and the clock is continuing to tick. That's the other thing. We know that the longer you continue to let a pregnancy develop, the harder it becomes to eliminate or terminate that pregnancy. And so, yes, it is challenging when trigger bans go into effect because we don't know at what place a woman was in her process with going through um, her abortion care. And so when you think about it like that, that is putting a lot of unnecessary and undue pressure on women and families because state legislative bodies like those in the state of Tennessee don't give a damn about women and women's bodies. Well, I don't agree with anybody who doesn't give a damn about a woman's situation. That's why we talk to these groups. I don't want to just talk about pro-life issues. I want to bring on the groups that actually help women. That's what I do. But you made another good point. That baby's growing fast. That baby's growing fast in there. And you got to do the right thing. You're, the trigger of the issue you mentioned, that's a three-day period that might have affected some people. I mean, things go into effect. We There's going to be somebody affected by it. But th during that process, that three-day. But overall, we have to try to not only save more lives, but give resources to mothers that maybe say, you know what? I don't want an abortion, but this isn't right for me. I want it to be easy for them to see all kinds of alternatives. Well, here's a great adoption option. Here's a great uh, uh, organization that helps me through this experience. And, and it's a friends network and it's a, it's a group that helps. That's what I want. That's all I'm saying. I don't want to just put laws on the books and walk away from it. Do you understand but that? That's what they do. I mean, do you really believe, Matt, that the same folks who are making and, and legislating on these type of laws they're following through with the care of women who do go forward with, their, with their pregnancies. I a lot of them do. That. I've seen it. I've seen no, it. But, here, but here's and the They other go thing to that. these organizations and talk, right? They go to these organizations and talk. What is talking? How does talking put milk in somebody's in, in a baby's stomach? How does talking put food in a refrigerator? A how does having a talk provide economic relief to a family? that may have challenges because they had another baby or do you know anybody that had kids at all and they weren't financially set. Do you know anybody? Absolutely. And they made it, they made it work. Absolutely. Well, I don't know that they made it work. They did the best that they could, but I also think, you know, the, the framing of saving a person's life, why don't we look at it as saving a woman's life? If she decides to have an abortion, why do we only look she doesn't at it die during an abortion? She just, 
a woman, a woman, if a woman gets in a car accident and it's her mm-hmm. or the baby, that's a family decision. Mm-hmm. But when she walks into the abortion clinic, eliminates the baby and walks right back out, it's nothing to do with her life. She killed someone else. But you don't know that, Matt. You're making an assumption. You're making 98%. a gross assumption. 98% of abortions are done out of convenience and it's not the right place in my life. 98%. I, I would disagree with that, um, with that, with that percentage, because I haven't seen the data on that to support the evidence of that statement. But what I will say is we really in this country, we have to reimagine what it means to provide abortion care and women's health care in this country. Um, we talk a lot about, again, saving a life, but we don't think about the lives that, that are carrying these future lives or would be future lives. I look at it from both sides. I think that if a woman chooses to have an abortion, she is making a decision that's in the best interest of herself and or her family. And that is saving a life in some respect. And so I just I just disagree with the premise that it's only about the child and that it's not about the woman and that it's not about the mental anguish or health care or all the other components that go into a person making this type of decision. Because I also understand and I believe that people arrive at these decisions from a number of different reasons. And you know what? I'm okay not knowing what all the reasons are because at the end of the day, it's none of my business. If I support women, if I say that I support women, if I say that I support a woman's right to choose, I have to believe that women, women are making the best decision in their best interest. And that has to be enough. I don't need to know all of the details. I just have to believe that they're making the best decision for their life at this time. Well, we don't want to rehash everything we talked about, but when the Democrats put legislation on the table that says abortion on demand universally, there's going to be pushback on that from a lot in this country that are pro-life. There's going to be pushback on that. And nobody talks about the baby except for the pro-life group. And I think that's a shame. There should be an open conversation just like this. Your side, our side. That's what I'm talking about. Matt, I'd be remiss if I didn't bring up, you know, this conversation around abortion that is happening right now in the Georgia Senate race between Herschel Walker and Senator Raphael Warnock. Yeah. Um, I also think, you know, again, I, I always got to go back to my, my my experiences in my own state. In Tennessee, there is a sitting member of the U.S. Congress, Scott Desjardins, who has alleged, right, so I always say allegedly, He has paid for an abortion for a woman. I don't know if she's a mistress or whatever. So I'll just say a woman. And so I'm I'm bringing Herschel Walker up. I'm bringing Scott Desjardins up. And there are countless other examples of people who identify as conservative, who identify as Republican, who are hypocrites. They're hypocrites. Can I I answer that? And so wait a minute. (laughs) These are the same folks who go into state legislative bodies or go into Congress or will go into Senate and vote against a woman's right to choose all while moonlighting, having sexual affairs, either, you know, in concert or against whatever their, their, their home life situation is. And they're telling women what to do when they literally have been alleged to pay for abortions for women that they've been involved with, been involved with. And I think it's hypocritical. Well, 
that's fine. The uh, several things on this. Number one, that should make you. If it happened, they both denied it. But if it happened, that would make you probably like the candidates more, right? Hey, you guys are uh, no, but. <laughs> Now, with Raphael Warnock, who beats up his wife, and nobody cares that's about that. Nobody ever, and, and I see her on video begging for her life. That's her on video on her camera calling 911 because he's abusing her. I think that's a problem. If when these guys, like Herschel Walker, was a different person a long time ago, if he did that, people change. And he changed his belief. If he, he said he didn't do it. And there's a lot of women. It's just funny. These women come out of nowhere. This mm-hmm. happened to Herman Cain. They do this. They come out of nowhere. Is if that this really was the big deal to this woman that said she she has the receipts, even though BuzzFeed never provided, never published the receipts with Herschel Walker's name on it, showed a different name written down. If she was, if this was a big deal, he's a big NFL star. She could have went public with that a long time ago, not three weeks before an election. Well, he wasn't running for office a long time ago. He was a big NFL star. She could have shaked him down, right? Well, again, this same woman is alleged to still have had a baby by him after the abortion. I mean, according to the Daily Beast article. And so, again. He's in the NFL. He probably has many kids with many different women. That's just how NFL players roll. And are we saying that that's okay? No, just like well, I'm saying, just, okay, well, this reckless behavior I said at the beginning is the root cause. The reckless behavior is the root cause of all these problems. Matt, <laughs> you're making an argument about women. And what I'm doing, I'm, I'm, I'm closing this circle and saying there are men who are running for office, who are elected officials currently, who have done or are doing the same thing. Allegedly. Allegedly. And and so what I'm saying is in the Herschel Walker situation, this woman who has alleged that she had an abortion by him has also stated that she has a living child by him as well. And so. Why would he kill one, not the other? That doesn't make any sense. And he didn't perform the abortion. He didn't do it. Again, I don't know why people arrive at the decisions that they arrive in. But again, I support a woman's right to choose. And if Herschel Walker did, in fact, take that kind of action with that woman, it's their right. But you also don't get to come on TV and run for office and say, I am against abortion. He's not allowed it's to change right. his position. He's not allowed to change his Listen, mind. And everyone is, evo- is allowed to evolve in this life. I, I, I yeah. firmly believe that everyone should be evolving every day. But, what I'm, but we also have to call out those who are hypocritical, those who are asking for people's votes, saying, do as I say and not as I do. Doing one thing in the public and in the, you know, at night or behind closed doors, they've done something else. This is also the same man who has stated about, you know, fathers being involved in their children's lives. And again, it is alleged that he has not been an active father in the children that he has fathered, in the children that he has made. And so I just want to make sure that, you know, as we're having this conversation, I think it is very, um, I think we're having an important conversation. It's not tensious. I don't feel any tension. Mm -hmm. But we also have to bring in all of the facts that surround a number of different candidates that are running right now, just so your listeners can get a really good picture on how we're having this conversation and people on one side of the aisle are doing the very thing that they say that they're against. 
allegedly Herschel Walker years and years and years ago paid for somebody to have an abortion. But Raphael Warnock's wife a couple of years ago is in the driveway panicking for her life. And a pedophile at his church was his activities were covered up by Warnock and the church. And it's just disgusting. But that's all documented. I can show you the evidence for those things. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that's the problem. These Democrats candidates of yours, Crystal, are not pristine people. All right. They're very, they're, they're, Judgment is questioned. I, we spent 30 minutes on this because I wanted with okay. you to bring all the facts. Doesn't feel like 30 minutes, does it? No, it doesn't. <laughs> Real quick, I want to give you the last word because you're working with Democrat candidates. You mentioned Absolutely. a lot of problems. By the way, on the choice thing, does that apply to masks and vaccines in your uh, opinion? Yeah, well? listen, I, I, am a, I got vaccinated. You know, I believe in science. I'm not a scientist. And if, you know, the CDC has stated that we need to get vaccinated, then I'm going to get vaccinated. But that's um, your I'll, choice. It's my choice. Yes, yeah. it, it's okay. my choice. I know people right now who are not vaccinated and I don't love them any differently because they chose not to do it. And Will so, you hug an unvaccinated person? Absolutely. I have people in my family who are unvaccinated. <laughs> absolutely. I have friends who are unvaccinated. Again, I can't tell people what to do with their bodies. Now, at I least you're consistent. It. You're consistent on that position. So I'm I appreciate consistent that. on that position. Yes. Um, I also think, you know, just back to the Democratic candidates being, you know, challenging and flawed. There is no candidate out here who's perfect. Every no. candidate is challenged. Every That's candidate right. is flawed. Um, and, and if the things that are being alleged about Raphael Warnock are true, it is it's, it's disappointing. You know, again, I would have to go as a voter. I'm not a, I'm not a voter in the state of Georgia. But if I were a voter in the state of Georgia um, and I still and I you know registered as a Democrat, I would be sure to make sure that all the things that have been alleged about the candidate that is the Democratic nominee, I would want to know if those things were true or not. So I would encourage voters to do their own investigation. I think media is powerful. Media is important, but it's also up to each individual voter to do their own education and make informed decisions as they're heading to the polls. Yeah, absolutely. The media don't be so one-sided. Let's get to the bottom because one thing is what Ralph Raphael Warnock did, but let's hear his explanation of it too. Let's get him on the record and see what he said. Let's get Herschel Walker on the record. And they, they do every day and he denies it. But, you know, he said, go to his book. So I look in the book and didn't mention it. So let's let's see. Let's get to the bottom of their response, too. All right. Last word. You mentioned crime, inflation, gas prices, all things caused by liberal DAs in Chicago, okay. the Biden administration with their... <laughs> spending sprees on Green New Deal that really put us in a bad place. What in your mind do your Democrats have to run on to convince the voters they should keep the House and Senate? Last word to you. Yeah, that's a good question. So I want to just state that crime, inflation, those are not partisan issues and those are not um, the causes of partisan politics. Those are issues that affect every single voter in this country, no matter where they live. So I want to just you know clear that up, but I do think that this administration has been um, you know delivering on the promises that they said they would do. Um, they delivered on student loan forgiveness. 
Um, they delivered on child tax credits. Um, they delivered on climate change, which is something that many people on the Republican side did not want to see go through. Um, they also were trying fervently to pass Build Back Better, but they could not get the coalition, a, a Democratic and um, Republican coalition to get that through and pass through Congress. But ultimately, what do candidates have to campaign on? They have to campaign on what they've done in their respective districts. They also have to point to some of the wins that this administration, the Biden administration, has been able to accomplish over this last you know, two years. But ultimately, voters should look at what has a what has a candidate or an elected official done in their respective district and will their life improve because he or she is in office. Okay. One by one, real quick, and then I'll let you go. Okay. Climate change, I believe, is an absolute hoax with hand-picked. Uh, it's just a way to spend money on pet projects for the Democrats. Student loans, asking somebody who didn't take out a student loan to pay for your student loan doesn't seem right. It's a it's a stunt for the midterms. And then uh, the child tax credit was renewed from the Trump administration who doubled the child tax credit. Biden just uh, renewed it. And he reinstated the stay in Mexico policy for the Venezuelan migrants too. He just did that. You probably saw that because one thing we didn't mention is how out of the control the border is. Okay, Crystal, great discussion today. Where can people find you, follow you, everything? Yeah, so I, um, my, all of my Twitter, um, Instagram, TikTok handles is Chris L. Knight, at Chris L. Knight. I also just launched a um, the Crystal Knight Show podcast on Newsweek platforms. You can get that anywhere that you subscribe to podcasts, Spotify, iTunes, any of those things where I'm talking about liberal and democratic politics every single day. Please engage with me have a conversation with me. I love to speak with people about politics. This is my issue. These are the things that I talk about and I look forward to engaging with you in the future. And that's Crystal with a K. And an right? I. Crystal with a K and an I. Yeah, a K and an I. And then Knight, uh, K-N-I-G-H-T. I just want for our radio listeners to be able to get the correct spelling. Fair. I'm fair. <laughs> Thank you, Crystal, okay. uh, for that's debatable today. All right. Thank you so much. All right. Sounds good. Woo. Take a breath. We'll be back on the Map Up Show. You stay with us. Are you a public employee? Tired of paying union dues when inflation and gas prices are out of control? Opt out today and keep your money. Over 100,000 American workers already have, and you can too. Visit optouttoday.com to learn more. Veritas Tactical. Tactical, a family and law enforcement owned company where you can get custom built ARs with purpose built precision. They have a full line of handguns like Glock, Six Hour, Smith & Wesson, and get your everyday carry items and accessories. Moreover, they are your Liberty Safe dealer. Need training? Veritas Tactical has all you need from getting your CCW to advanced tactical courses, female survival courses, and force on force scenarios. Veritas Tactical has a full-time gunsmith on site, Sarah Coding Services, laser engraving and more mention the buff show and get a 25 dollars discount on courses you'll find veritas tactical at 207 north goldenrod road suite 200 in orlando contact veritas tactical 407-309-3000 407-309-3000 and at veritas tactical.com veritas tactical tactical 
Welcome back to the Map Up Show. Great to have you with us. We are on Thursday. So guess what that means? Can you guess out there? Yeah, you know, you know what happened. Well, we just did a debate, right? That's debatable. Is on Thursdays. But it's also Freedom Foundation Thursday. One of the most important organizations in America helping people get out of union control and save money in their pocket. Living is skyrocketing and paychecks just can't keep up. But if you're lucky enough to be a public employee, you can give yourself a raise. Visit optouttoday.com and stop paying union dues. We've helped over 100,000 public employees just like you opt out and save an average of $1,000 per year. Opt out today and put more food, fuel, and fun back into your life. It's your money. You earned it. Visit optouttoday.com. Okay, we're going to go to our good friend, Charlie Brown, on the Matt Buff Show. The, the last interview with Charlie Brown before next week, which would be the day before Halloween, your big time special's coming, Charlie. It's my big moment. <laughs> <laughs> Great to see you. How you been? I'm doing really good. How are you? Oh, just rocking along today, and it's also great to have somebody I keep referencing every single time we do Freedom Foundation. It's like, I need to get Maxford Nelson's opinion on this. <laughs> Max Nelson back on the show. Great to have you. Always happy to be here, Matt. Thanks. Thanks for having us. All right. Sounds good. Charlie, kick us off with what the latest information is with the outreach of Freedom Foundation. Yeah, so yesterday we had an event in Pittsburgh, in downtown Pittsburgh, in the Market Square, and uh, we had this big hurricane money machine, and we let anybody get in the machine, grab money, and it was like an accurate representation of the money that people have to pay in union dues. It was really fun. Everybody was looking at us. <laughs> they all were like, what is going on over here? So it was really great, and I had some really great conversation. Um, one that really touched me is a woman was telling me how bad inflation is for her and how she has to work two jobs just to put food on the table. And it really touched me. So you had a lot of good response too, but that is a touching story. And there's a lot of that going on right now. So um, how was uh, the, and by the way, a hurricane of what was it? Uh, it was like a hurricane money machine, like how on a game show you can get in the machine, grab some money. <laughs> we just had a hurricane in Florida, so I'm a little offended, Charlie, about your hurricane fun you're having. <laughs> I, I, I don't I, think well, I hope you're doing okay, and I hope I, I pray for the people of Florida. <laughs> no, it's all good. It's funny and it's good, and the outreach was great. People responded. Any signups? Uh, yeah, we had a few signups. And honestly, there's one conversation of everything we talk about how these unions don't let their employees know that they can opt out. This one guy was like, well, I can't leave my union. And we spent like 10 minutes explaining to him. So it's 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 happening. It's happening all over the country. And and it's really nice to continue on our national expansion and get into Pittsburgh and get our name ID. It's It was great. Well, good. Uh, we need to flip Pennsylvania back. So um, it's good that you were there because that's a big battleground state for us. And it's really good for Freedom Foundation to keep getting the word out. Um, Maxford Nelson, over to you. We've been following this California situation where they're making taxpayers pay for union dues. I mean, it's just it, number one. And this is what I said I need to talk to Max last week. Is this unprecedented, first of all? And is there any fight back that you've seen? So this is a pretty crazy proposal, Matt, that uh, that the California legislature passed and that uh, Governor Newsom signed last month. Uh, I know that's that's going to shock a lot of Florida residents that California is doing something crazy, but 
label this the latest uh, uh, promotion for, uh, for for the state of Florida that the, that the state of California has uh, taken upon itself to adopt. And uh, as, as you mentioned, you know this this is unprecedented. What what the state has done is uh, is set create a program uh, under the state's income tax code to create a tax credit for people who pay union dues, whether you are a public employee, a private sector employee, uh, under this program that's been created, if you pay union dues, uh, you will be eligible to have some or all of those dues uh, essentially refunded to you by the state of California, courtesy of the taxpayers of the state of California. Uh, There is no program like this in the country that I'm aware of. There was an effort by congressional Democrats uh, during the debate over the Build Back Better Act, as you recall, from last year and earlier into this year, uh, to create a similar program, an above-the-line tax deduction for federal income tax purposes for a portion of union dues. That obviously fell apart as the rest of Build Back Better fell apart. Uh, But uh, the state of California thought that was a good idea, and they plowed ahead with it. Uh, and, And so... The, the program hasn't been launched yet, but they have enacted the legal framework to, to get this off the ground. And if you stop and think about it for a moment, it really is, it really is out there. You know, bear in mind, unions, uh, particularly in government, are inherently political actors. Dues money in states like California flows directly into uh, the campaign coffers of candidates for office, Democratic candidates for office, like Governor Newsom, like the supermajority Democrat controlled state legislature. And you know what this amounts to is essentially the state of California paying people to pay unions uh, so that the unions can turn around and give that money uh, right back into campaign coffers. So that, I mean, this is just one or two steps removed from just forcing California taxpayers to fund the Democrat party. Charlie, this is in the tune of $400 million, right? I mean, it's just remarkable. Yeah, I mean, are we surprised, though? This is Gavin Newsom, who got $25 million from the public sector unions last year during his recall. It seems to me as if he's repaying what he they did for him last year. And it's only a matter of time, like we've discussed on and on, over and over again. It's, it's going to move to other liberal states like New York City, or New York, I mean. It's crazy. This is one of the turning points in the election, too, what we're talking about today. This is if the Democrats get total control, they will find a bill that's a a version of that Build Back Better and find a way to nationally and federally disperse funds to unions through the taxpayers of America. Max, do you agree with that? Oh, absolutely. I mean, we we saw it in in the Build Back Better Act that they came a, a whisker uh, from passing this year under That's the budget true. reconciliation rules. I mean, if it hadn't been for uh, Senator Cinema and, and to a lesser extent, Senator Manchin, uh, that entire package would have sailed through. Uh, and, and we saw, you know, not just tax deductions for union dues, but preferential treatment for uh, uh, private sector labor unions to work on environmental projects. Uh, we saw things like a massive subsidy, massive federal subsidies, uh, for unions representing home care workers. The SEIU was boasting that this bill, had it passed, would have created hundreds of thousands of, of union jobs. Uh, and, and we did an analysis that showed probably hundreds of millions of dollars in Medicaid funds would have flowed to labor unions. So that's that's a, pre, you know, a preview of coming attractions, so to speak. Um, but it's very clear where their agenda is. The modern left is bankrolled in large part by uh, government unions and public sector labor organizations. And so any place that they get control at the state level, local level, or the federal level, 
there are efforts being made to increase the political power of the unions. Well, another thing, Max, that somehow, some way you've been trying to find and cover all and uncover all this is the COVID cash. Mm. This might be the biggest financial scam in American history. Charlie, uh, Black Lives Matter. I mean, $65 million gone. The the teachers unions mm-hmm. haven't spent, what, Max, 80% of this? I mean, where is this money going? You are the only person I know. And this article, we're going to post the link, is on freedomfoundation.com. SBA officials plead ignorance of union-related COVID relief fraud. You're the only one I know that's been trying to track this down, but man, what a hard nut to crack when it comes to this millions and millions of dollars of COVID cash. It's it's overwhelming just because of the yeah. sheer size, the sheer amount of money that the federal government printed and shot into the economy and shot into the coffers of state and local governments, and that apparently labor unions themselves were able to cash in on. Uh, just the sheer size of the program makes it challenging. We're, we're going to be hearing about prosecutions and investigations into COVID-related fraud for the next decade. Uh, it's uh, it's not an exaggeration. But as, as you mentioned, you know, earlier this year, we exposed that several hundred labor unions that were not legally eligible for federal COVID relief uh, received 30, more than $36 million dollars. Uh, for under the Paycheck Protection Program, completely inappropriate. We blew the whistle on this, documented it, put the research out, and that prompted uh, Republicans on the various committees uh, of jurisdiction in the House uh, to shoot off a letter to the Small Business Administration, which administered this program, asking for more information. Basically, why did this happen? How did this happen? What was the extent of the problem? And the SBA got back to them and basically said, we don't know anything. We, we have no oh, idea yeah. what you're talking about. Uh, and so we've we've now since determined uh, through the results of a Freedom of Information Act request uh, that SBA officials, the very ones actually who signed off on the response to Congress, uh, were actually discussing our research and sharing the links back and forth uh, about how unions had, had gotten this money inappropriately. But yet they they all said to Congress, eh, we don't really know anything. Crazy. Charlie. Charlie, we're going to have to send you over to the SBA to ask some questions. Can you bring your camera equipment and do this? Because (laughs) I would love to. They probably kicked me out. (laughs) Like Max would put in the, yeah, they probably would, but that would be good video too. It would be. It would be. be, I would hope it would go viral at that point. That'd be a great video. (laughs) It would be. And we need to seriously think about it because like Maxford wrote in the article, despite the fact that the SBA staff were apparently aware of the Freedom Foundation's report by the time of the congressional inquiry, which itself referenced the Freedom Foundation's research, the SBA's April 22nd response letter denied any knowledge of the issue obtusely stating only that the agency did not collect information about union PP loan applications and can per, uh, and cannot provide the data that requires this information. It's because of the amount of money, Maxford, that makes this shocking. I've lost a wallet before. I've never lost $400 billion. <laughs> I mean, it's... It's... it's uh, at some level, it's not surprising. You know, these were massive federal programs. It, you know, look, if, if you look at, at large federal programs that have been in existence for a long time, decades and decades, and, and have been subject of audits and, and internal controls and congressional investigations before, we still have waste, fraud, and abuse shot through these massive federal programs. 
when you create something like the Paycheck Protection Program or some of these other federal COVID relief funds, essentially overnight and fund them with hundreds of billions or trillions of dollars, at a certain level, I'm not too surprised that the system was never fully uh, uh, created to account for and, and deter uh, and detect fraud. And I'm, I'm not surprised that everybody tried to take advantage of it, both within the United States and internationally. I mean, with that much money on the line, that it was it was a magnet for for fraud. Uh, and, and like I said, I think we're going to be hearing about this at some level, probably for the next 10 years. He's exactly right, Charlie. We're already hearing stuff on a trickle by trickle basis. The, Kardash the Kardashians took out two million in PPP loan. I mean, they did. Yes, everybody in America seemed to have their hands in the cookie jar for this thing. And there's to unwind that is uh, just amazing. But you, Charlie, you got to get the word out with the PR that these unions are stealing your taxpayer money. Basically, is what they're doing. They are. I mean, at our event, one thing that we really tried to tell people is no matter what you believe, this is your money being spent and you don't know what your money is being spent on. And you're spending almost a thousand years or a thousand dollars by the end of the year. I mean, that's a lot of money and that's your money and you don't have a choice of where it's going. It's crazy. Yeah, we need to put that back in your pocket. Freedomfoundation.com. Last word to you, Maxford Nelson. What is next for these projects in California and the PPP loan, what are you working on? Well, our legal team right now is looking very closely at the California tax credit for, for union dues. Uh, there's some very novel legal questions presented there about just how far the government can go in compelling you to pay for a private organization. We know that in some contexts, the government can't force you to do that. The government can't force a public employee to pay union dues. Can the government force a taxpayer to pay for somebody else's union dues? Some interesting legal questions there. So we'll be we'll be taking a close look at that. Uh, I think the Paytech Protection Program research uh, is going to be uh, of continued interest to members of Congress. And we'll see what happens with the elections here in a few weeks. That could open up some new opportunities. Uh, and we're, we're looking at a few other creative ways to tackle this as well. We, we have we have yet to actually see the money be recovered on behalf of U.S. taxpayers. And I think there are several ways that we can still make that happen. And we're not going to let up until it does. All right. Last word to you, Charlie, too. When you talk about the two different Americas we're looking at in three weeks, it's pretty remarkable. Two completely different Americas. Yeah, it is. And I one thing I wanted to mention is uh, Biden is in Pittsburgh today. So <laughs> we're there <laughs> trying to stop corruption and he is there promoting a, a pro-union presidency. So it's interesting. Well, go protest him, Charlie. Don't let him get away with that. I know. I, I I will say, being from Cleveland, I'm I, I'm not a big Pittsburgh fan. <laughs> yeah, football-wise, right? Yes, yes, yes. All right. Well, I, I would go with the Steelers on that one as far as winning teams go. But uh, God bless your Browns. <laughs> <laughs> you have to love them. <laughs> yeah, you have to. The lovable losers of Cleveland. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I, I, I always will. <laughs> That's great. Awesome. Well, keep up the great work, guys. Freedomfoundation.com is where you go to get all this information, these articles. You can sign up. You can talk to people. There's instructions, all kinds of stuff. Max from Nelson, Charlie Brown, thank you both for joining us on the show. Thank you. Thanks, Matt. You got it. We will conclude this edition of the Matt Buff Show. You guys stay smart out there. We'll see you next time.